Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. Right. A recent article I saw announced some new use of AI or voice recognition, making EHR simply amazing. And it goes on to say that each hour of care requires approximately two hours of EHR work. In 2022, the U.S. Surgeon General did a survey in JAM Internal Medicine and found that the average physician spends 1.7 hours on EHR tasks outside of normal working hours daily. And another study from Medscape's 2019 Physician Comp Report found that clinicians spend 10 to 19 hours a week just on paper and administrative tasks. So we all know this. None of this is really news. But EHR is clearly the dominant burnout driver in fee-for-service and value-based care. Making it better with AI or voice recognition is like spreading honey over a cactus so it's more delicious. No, booting codes from your routine is the only solution. It's a new normal for 20,000 plus white coats in the direct primary care universe. Thousands of surgeons and cash pay also are getting paid direct. And surgery, same. Why bill when your pay comes from employers paying a monthly subscription? And they renew at the 98 to 99% rate annually because the employers too win. Why bill when you collect cash up front? So you can opt out of this tyranny. EHR was manufactured for payment, not for care. It never was designed for care and continuity, and it never will be. It's lipstick on a pig to make EHR better. These bigs, these bigs, these bigs, mm-mm-mm. they're kind of blind because they made their bonus. They hit their quarterlies. They bumped their EBITDA dial up a scorcher today. And so shareholders win, the suits win, but never the docs until the direct ecosystem was built. The last in five areas to get organized in this direct care ecosystem seems to be the specialists. Because primary care, surgery, labs, imaging, pharmacy are all kind of done. Those are cooked. But specialists is a bit trickier to make sure you get that continuity of care from the direct care model. So today's guest has the largest exchange for specialists at 5,000 on her site. And if you are one, or if you're looking for one nearby, welcome to uberdocs.com. And at the same time, let's welcome its founder, Dr. Palamuto, back to the show for round two. Thank you for having me. Very exciting to be back. Yeah, well, we did had so much fun the first time. I learned a lot. And um, you now have grown by 20% in the last two years, up to your 4,000. Now you're at 5,000 specialists. What uh, what are the docs telling you when they come on board and what do you have to, what is your pitch to them also? Let's talk about what they tell you when they come on board. What has their experience been, those that have been doing this for a while? So so from the very beginning, doctors were excited about joining UberDoc. Um, and um, just because it's a, wow, that's a really great idea. I want to be an UberDoc. 
Um, over the years, and especially in, I would say, since like the kind of the post-COVID, as we're emerging from this, you know, post-pandemic world, there's been sort of a split, a lot of urgency on the top, on the part of some physicians who really kind of recognize things have to change. Um, and then there's also people who are like, I'm done. You know, we've had specialists actually, you know, say I'm, I'm, I'm no longer in practice. <laughs> I'm retiring, um, which is, I believe, 110,000 doctors, right, in the country retired last year. Um, so, so doctors who want to stay in it are really excited about the model. Doctors who are employed, who felt they couldn't join, we've found ways for them to be part of our platform as well. They are grateful. Um, so I think that this is sort of like our physician network um, is um, grows almost organically at this point, Ron. You know, the, every doctor kind of hears about us. They they join. You know, with the with the changeover in telemedicine reimbursements, um, we're catching the eye of some bigger institutions who have physicians that may also uh, they see it kind of as a as a good way to to generate revenue. So I, I kind of quietly sit there and hope that we disrupt from the bottom up <laughs> because it's all doctors ultimately that become part of UberDoc. So let's take a step back and explain if you're, well, first of all, who's using your services? Is it going to be uh, third-party administrators? Is it going to be direct primary care, large companies that need a specialist that takes so cash? Who, who's, who's, so it's a little bit of everybody. So we are okay. obviously direct to consumer model, right? So okay. consumers, but who's a consumer? So employers, employers are very interested in us. We did a lot of work with like medical cost share groups. We do have a TPA that uses us um, at help to help their navigators navigate care. But in some ways you kind of think about our platform is really the patients navigating their own care, right? Um, so, so sometimes, um, you know, we are finding that Really, when we go to employers now, we're taking kind of a cost plus approach, uh, which is we're not really we don't want to charge them like necessarily a price per member per month as a as a as a point solution, but rather than you know use you you have HSAs, you have employees who uh, want who want to stay with the doctors, they don't want to be restricted by networks, um, so let them use their HSAs, let them use UberDoc. Um, and again, I say by a cost plus model, because that's kind of how they how you know, cost plus, you know, the Mark Cuban drug company does it. They're just like, here we are. Here's another, you know, avenue. It's like green imaging. Here we are. Here's an avenue and it's direct pay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, green imaging is the largest imaging yeah. direct in the country with 1700 locations that are independent. Uh, so their costs are like your specialist going to be lower than if you engage them lower. in the... Uh, yeah. So it's between cost plus for the medications, for the imaging, mm -hmm. um, for the the doctor visit. Um, and we work really closely with a lot of people who are part of like the PHA and, you know, the surgery centers. You know, you're beginning to get a lot of these like uh, groups that have their own, um, you know, surgery centers that are bundling prices very nicely for like, yes. you know, um, for outpatient services. So yeah, I just had Keith Smith on the show last week and he I thought there were 60 because that's what he told me one time. And he said. There depends on how you define it, but yeah, there's about 60 companies or surgery centers, and there's another 640 that are independently owned that take cash as well, oh. but they're not bundled transparent pricing. It's a it's a it's an ecosystem that reflects two things. One of them is the change in 
you know, um, in, in, you know, the high cost of medicine and looking around for better pricing, but it also reflects a change in medical care. You know, we've moved site of service away from institutions to sort of locally to, you know, surgery centers, better, faster, cheaper to the offices. You know, it's just technology has allowed us to kind of move, migrate what used to be very expensive services into lower cost options with better outcomes. Let's talk about the user experience. I, as a consumer, needed to get my uh, my uh, colonoscopy. And so, you know, every five years it was time. Well, instead of calling Uber Docs, uh, I instead did it the hard way. And I called a friend of mine and he, anyway, long story short, the largest gastro in San Antonio where I live didn't understand how to take cash. They just couldn't <laughs> give me a, a discount, period. So 2,500 and I was quoted and I finally talked to the CEO and it was like 2,250. I said, that's not your cash price. Come on, what is your cash price? Well, we don't really, that's the different department than CEO. And I went, okay, whatever. So lots of confusion and frustration. So I used, um, I, I kept calling around and searching around and I found one for 1250. And then had I used y'all, I think I would have paid a thousand dollars for my, for the same service, no difference in quality to pay cash. But it's, that's the drill that people go through without an Uber docs in their life is you're talking to people that don't know, even know how to quote you a price. I think that's really true. And 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 remember, this is a, a two-way street, right? It's not just the, the the patient who's asking, the doctor has to have an answer. So 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 the whole purpose of UberDoc is to bring those doctors to the table and say, okay, it's fine to have Blue Cross and to Medicare and Medicaid, but you also have to have direct pay. You know, we've got to convert, you know, one of those seats in your waiting room into a direct pay patient. Um, and when physicians hear it that way, they understand. And then they turn and they go to their, you know, office staff or their surgery center and say, hey, I'm bringing a cash pay patient. My, the, my patient wants to know what's the price for that colonoscopy, right? The gastroenterologist knows their price, but what's the price of the center? And more and more of the, when it comes from the doctors, um, it, it's, you know, the, this, then the centers give you a better price. And so I, I just think it's going to take a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll get there. Yeah. So so basically, I'm a consumer. I can call or go in online for UberDoc. I can say, here's my zip code. I think I need a audiologist for my whatever going on in my ear or my dizziness. And they'll schedule appointment. How do, what happens after so, I make that connection? So you put in your zip code and you find a doctor nearby and available. Um, and the doctors are, are listed by proximity first and by... Um, uh, availability second. So doctor one mile beats doctor two miles, doctor, you know, Monday beats doctor Tuesday. You find an appointment, you click on, you put in your chief complaint, like I, I'm dizzy. Um, and we take no data. This is the cool thing, Ron, is we don't take any data from the patient other than the demographic. We're not like a lot of these very intrusive third parties now that take a lot of information about from you. Um, we, um, we take the bare minimum um, and then once you accept the appointment, um, the doctor, the doc once the doctor gets a ping on their phone or on their in on their dashboard and says you have a patient who is dizzy and wants an appointment on Tuesday, you know June whatever at uh, eight o'clock in the morning, they say yes with a thumbs up, and the patient gets sent a, a, an email with date, time, location of the appointment, all HIPAA protected, and then the patient um, will pay fifty dollars to secure that appointment. Once the patient's seen. 
Um, the doctor then completes the appointment and the remainder balance is removed. And that price point is anywhere from 150 to 500. We cap it at the high end and the low end. Um, the average price is about 250, which is consistent with a Medicare you know, price, a little bit like a one, like a reference point around a Medicare E&M. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and that's, and that's it. And that can be done through HSA or credit card. Now, if the ENT doctor tells you, I need to do this with you, or, you know, I need to order a CAT scan or something else, then it's between the doctor and patient, right? Um, right. And that could be continued cash. It could be through insurance. And now we've added a cool thing uh, into our, our toolbox is that what patients say continues cash and maybe pays for something that might have been covered later. They can submit it to their insurance for potential reimbursement. I through, see. Um, isn't that cool, huh? Very nice. <laughs> well, I'm, I, you know, I'm surprised, Paula, um, how easy it is. Let, let's talk a little bit about your growth in the future. I think we have a million one hundred thousand physicians in America, and let's call a couple hundred thousand of them PCPs. But the rest of them are going to be specialists. So you've got a giant, massive pool of yep. hundreds of thousands of specialists, and you have five thousand, which is, you know, be proud. It's a national leader. But how come the rest of the specialists haven't found your site and aren't flocking to this? I mean, everybody's so got vacancies in their schedule, <laughs> right? Nobody's full. That has to do with marketing, right? Um, so our doctor marketing is actually very good. And we have a funnel of a couple hundred thousand above that. So it's not just those are the active doctors. We have another like 10,000 in the funnel that are in the process of activating. And, and what happens when a doctor like hears about UberDoc, they get excited. They want to join. But a lot of times if they're employed, they are concerned, right? Because like, you know, can they be direct pay? Um, they have to ask their employer. Once they ask their employer, it goes to another level. It goes to administration, you know, bureaucracy. And then it sort of like gets stalled and well, we'll meet next quarter and figure this out, right? So, so there's a little bit of that that goes on. And considering that 70% of doctors are employed, um, you know, that's kind of a challenge. Now, some of the doctors that are, quote, independent are also consolidated now, right? So you have a lot of orthopedic groups that have folded into one another. So that, again, creates another administrative kind of like hierarchy. Um, and, and so that doesn't stop doctors, but it kind of delays their, their onset onto the platform. Once people, there's no really reason for anyone not to join, whether, you know, especially if you, whether you're private equity or independent, it's cash, right? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. who would say no? Right. Um, so, so our challenge is really just our, our own human resources and resources to go out there and advertise to physicians. We, we used to do all those trade shows back when trade shows were fashionable. But, you know, that was pre-COVID and and, um, and that requires expense as well as personnel. Yeah. Um, but I'll get there. Um, I, you know, I was in D.C. just like, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, the, the big national organizations, they, they all know about UberDoc now. They'll go back and tell their dermatologists and they'll tell their gastroenterologists, you know, people will disseminate the information. So the 120 board specialists out there plus, do we do you have a concentration heavy and eight or 10 of them that are really uh, kind of filling out nicely. And then you have some that you need that you don't have. Uh, we're pretty, so we have about 57 specialties, believe it or not. Um, wow. So we have, we're pretty good on primary, you know, primary care. We have really interesting doctors who do like lifestyle medicine, as well as traditional family practice, internal medicine and so forth. And we have a lot of DPC doctors as well, um, you know, that sit on the platform. 
platform. Um, and then we have pretty much, you know, we have specialists across like, you know, all of the specialties. Obviously we like everyone wants more neurologists. Everyone wants more rheumatologists, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, the harder to get ones. Mm -hmm. um, and it all depends on, you know, but, but one endocrinologist in New York City can cover a pretty good area. Yep. A rheumatologist like Diana Granita has licenses in five states. So there's that kind of accessibility that, you know, with telemedicine, we can expand that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but but we have like a lot of orthopedics. Um, I have to say that, you know, we do we the specialties everyone wants. You know, we have a lot of demand for behavioral health and psychiatry. Um, and we take psychologists, PhDs in psychology, uh, PsyDs, as well as psychiatrists. Um, so, so we welcome them to the platform. Um, and, and, and cause there's a lot of demands. A dear friend of mine is an orthopod and he and I had dinner last night and I said, what do you make on a carpal tunnel? You know what he makes on a carpal tunnel at the I hospital? Three. Oh, at the hospital, $350. He makes, um, under a hundred dollars. Really under, oh, at the hospital, a hundred dollars. Yeah. No, that hospital will, will charge out at 13 or 20,000, but he makes a hundred dollars. Guess how much he makes on a shoulder replacement. At the hospital? Yep. Oh, probably like about eight hundred dollars, some six hundred. Like two under two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars for shoulder replacement? Yeah, I'm telling you that he is he's not a bad surgeon. He's good. He knows what he's doing. He's a, but he's a an employed surgeon. So he's employed? Yeah, but he makes nothing, is what I'm trying to say. He could do a lot better on Uber Docs than he could ever do, or he could do at a surgery center a lot better than he could ever do with uh, on his own or working for the big man. Yeah, they don't I pay mean, these guys much. They, I mean, these he, facility fees are eating everything alive. That's what, what the well, cost of most surgeries, facility fees, facility fees. So, so that's always been the way. So ironically, insurance companies incentivize physicians to move things out of the expensive hospital and into their offices by giving you the global fee for something like hanging chemotherapy, for example, was the classic, right? You go to a cancer center and they pay like 10 grand. You, you have your own, you, you buy the medicine and you hang it in your office. Um, you, they'll give you a global fee of like, say five, which includes a fat, you know, buying the medication. Um, if you go and watch that chemotherapy being hung in a center or at a hospital, you'll get a hundred dollars for that versus a thousand dollars. So that's how Incredible. it all started. That's how it all started. You know, yeah. I do office-based procedures. They didn't want these venous procedures being done in the hospital because it was a waste of an of a, a OR space. And the, so they incentivize you to do them in the office. Um, now it's like the hospitals are kind of reclaiming a lot of this stuff, right? Like, cause they want to be able to, they, they, they want those prices that high, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, and it's kind of a weird backwards incentive now, um, that mm -hmm. they're trying to reclaim that, you know, $60 breast ultrasound. It's like, why? And now it's a thousand dollars. You know, I'm about to go into the Medicare world in another year to a couple of years. My birthday's coming up and oh. I'm nervous about going into this fee for service volume centric world because it's, it's foreign to me. I mean, I was for the last seven years, I've been indirect and it's just so pleasant and easy and clean. I've made a decision. I'm going to certainly sign up for Medicare, but I'm also going to um, have a functional medicine doctor here in San Antonio that can take me, uh, on any kind of 24 seven basis. So that's exactly uh, what I would say to my patients. Um, so, so my big lofty dream is that, you know, or when you, you know, if you, if I had the magic wand and I, and had the ears of Washington, I'd say, look, 
you know, um, stop incentivizing, stop bonusing us for doing our job. Instead, in incentivize the patient. Give the money back to the patient. You know, I, I saw we're spending about 12000 almost 13000 per patient in Medicare. If you took half that and gave that back to the patient, you could deliver care for Imagine easily half that. funded HSA refund. Imagine if at the end of your year, say 68 years old, you, your medical expenses were were minimal, like you didn't swipe that Medicare card at all. They give you back a refund in the form of a health savings account, which you would then reinvest the following year in your primary care or your, you know, op, you know, eye doctor visit, your ear, hearing aids. In other words, why give it to a third party? <laughs> like, I, I'm a dreamer like you. I'd say, I don't think it'll ever happen because it's too logical, but it's, it's nice to dream, well, isn't it? It might only because they, you know, they just... They just reported again that, you know, of course, there's a lot of uh, fraud in these, you know, um, you know, the Medicare quote over the government overpaid Medicare Advantage program, right? Seventy five like, billion dollars. Oh, oops, we made a mistake. That's but, like, no, no, it's the overcoding. They consciously overcode. It's part of the model. Well, it's not just overcoding. They don't see their patients, Ron. I've had many Medicare Advantage patients that are told your, your appointment is canceled. You didn't get in your primary. We rescheduled your colonoscopy. And then you realize they just wanted to go another quarter, yeah. right? Because it's a don't ask, don't tell. If they don't see you, how are we going to spend money on you? Yeah, I would never get MA. I'm, I'm straight yeah, up I Medicare. I tell my patients, they, they're really struggling because the MA patients, you know, we get reimbursed the same as Medicare, but we actually, our margin is much lower. And, you know, and now they want authorizations and then they still retroactively deny. So, so, you know, a lot of times Medicare Advantage patients have to be treated just like insurance patients. They have to put deposits down and so forth. Um, well, and you know, that's an interesting parallel. We, the direct care model, whether you're talking about primary care or specialists like you deal with, there are no denials. There are no pre-offs. There are no prior authorizations, which means there's no barriers to you getting the care you need when you're in the direct world. That's one of the most beautiful things. The only about barrier, it. Ron, is the is the price. So if I wanted to be that ten thousand dollar like carpal tunnel, no one would come to me. Well, let's let's talk about that. You see what I'm so, saying? The So let's talk about that. If I was paying before I got into the universe I'm in now, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred a month that I'm not paying anymore. So let's call that eight grand in my pocket. I'm not going to spend eight grand every year. Okay. No. I'm going to have carpal tunnel once every 30 years, 20 years. I'm not. So I have this accumulated lost opportunity cost that is now in my bank. And and I don't have to, it, it's a beautiful thing because I can use that to do my, in my case, my colonoscopy, in my case, you know, get right. that uh, audio visit, um, audible visit. So I don't have I don't see it as a cost. I see it as I had all these savings built up anyway, and uh, it's just part of the overall care. Because right. then, he, what about adding in the deductible, a $1,500, $5,000 deductible? Oh. That's part of it too that I don't have to pay. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I was, you know, in DC a couple of weeks ago, I said, look, we've got people paying um, premiums, uh, working in jobs for those premiums. So it's paying in their job, paying in their wallet paying a deductible, paying a copay and paying taxes. Uh, something's got to give. <laughs> why are, why some, it's, it, that's crazy, right? Look, we're going to hear next year about, we're going to hear about the uninsured population because it's a presidential campaign year. And the uninsured somewhere floats around 28, 30 million for decades. It's going to change. 
the actual functionally uninsured, and I judge that by the people that can't afford their medications anymore, is 60 million. Yeah. 60 million people double the number of the uninsured is functionally uninsured. They have a plan with a high deductible. They can't afford it. They have a portion in their garage without gas, without oil. It's not affordable. They can't use their product. And the, and the sad thing is when 69% of the tax spend is going to fund insurance companies, that means that, you know, the taxpayers really own the insurance companies. Like we're the biggest investors in the insurance companies. So it's like, how come we don't get it for free? Yeah, that's over my head. <laughs> that you just, <laughs> no, you just I mean, officially blew my mind. That's the, this, the Wiley report came out about a couple months ago and it looked at the century long trends in healthcare funding. And they just followed the dollar. They looked at every government piece of number that was out there from 1923 to 2023. And in 1923, it was 9% of the tax spend. In other words, 9% of like, you know, of, you know, of. Uh, oh, I, you're, you're talking about Marty McCary's study. He did that. Uh, no, it wasn't Hockey. Marty McCary's study. This was, this was out of like Harvard School of Public Health, but, oh. um, but it's been quoted a lot, but 9% of the tax spend in 1923. Now it's 69% of the tax dollar, you know, of 69% of all the money that insurers collect actually comes from taxpayers. So like, like basically we own the tax. It's like, if we said that we, we funded, you know, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, right? Imagine if our tax dollars all funneled to, to Mark Zuckerberg, right? That he relied on government grants, right? It, it would, we'd own Facebook and we'd say, okay, well, stop doing this or stop doing that. But we don't. It's a private company. But yeah. but it's weird that sixty nine percent of the of the profit is coming from from us, and and it funds forty eight percent of the overhead. So forty eight percent of that money is like is like well, you know, I mean, the insurance company overhead is is taxpayers. So it's a fact that without Medicare Advantage, there would be no profits at the core units of these big insurance companies. No, but but I'm saying is we own it. So when DC people say, oh, the lobby groups are too strong, it's like time out. They've now you've crossed the threshold. You you, you own two thirds of them. They yeah. they're technically publicly owned companies. Like in the way they're not private. They're taxpayer subsidized to the point where it's no longer a five percent subsidy or nine percent subsidy. Well, it, they would laugh at you. Sixty nine percent. Yeah, that may be data, but the, the opinions of these suits that these companies isn't they would laugh at that idea. I think they don't care well, I think one whit about. Don't, take down insurance, you just create a viable alternative yeah. um, and let the market decide. And that's what I'm saying is like, if that, if, if you had $8,000 in your pocket, that instead of going to Medicare, it came back to you in some refund of some kind, and you now have a health savings account that you can actually spend, you, you have to make sure that, you know, one visit to the doctor isn't going to be 10 grand, right? Yes. You, yes. So that's the beauty behind um, you know, giving the healthcare dollar to the patient, which makes perfectly logical sense in 2023 with the access to information patients have, right? Yes. You were able to look at your colonoscopy on YouTube before you had it, right? You, you know mm -hmm. what you're getting, you know, kind of a little bit about it way more than you used to. Mm -hmm. um, so, so no one has to manage your care, but yourself. Yeah. You well, know? Paul, it's always great catching up with you. Is there something else we should have covered? We did not cover. Um, uh, no, I, like I said, I, if they're doctors listening, they should join UberDoc. If they're patients listening, uh, tell us what you need. We're very responsive. If you can't find that gastroenterologist in, in San Antonio, tell us, we'll go out and get them. Uh, that's what we are really good at. 
Um, and, um, and yeah, we're really excited about where we're headed. Um, you know, we have even got a state contract in Massachusetts to help with some behavioral health as well as disability, which I think is really important. Uh, so we are like, even like sort of local governments realize maybe we're the best access to care. Maybe it's just easier to just get someone in, pay them cash and not worry about issuing a claim. So let's talk uh, about how people can find you, Paula, if they're looking to connect with you. Um, so you can go to, uh, you can find me pretty easily. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, um, and but I'm also at Paula at uber-docs.com. I'm very accessible. I'm happy to talk to anyone uh, if they want to learn more about UberDoc or if they have, you know, a group of doctors that want to join. All right. And if you could fly a banner overhead in America, what would that say? Uh, what would that say? That would say, um, you know, we've got you covered, right? Yeah. You know, we, we, we've got you covered. And, and, and I think that's really what it's about. When you said you had to call a friend and find out what to do, we, we're answering that for patients. We've got, we, we keep them safe. We've got them covered. Got it. Thank you, Paula, for your time. And we'll connect with you again in a couple of years. Great. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.